0: asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number 1, that's not the nature of this show. And number 2, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for 2 hours or spreadsheet cash flows Because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. You're Maramac. listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We are in veg- educating, excuse me, the investors of the South Shore in the Merrimack Valley. I'm joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. We're talking about new legislation in the world of, well, a little bit in the world of taxes, mostly in the world of retirement plans and some changes there that were um, enacted at the end of 2019 here.
1: The SECURE Act. Do you remember what it stands for? No,
0: of course not. I just setting, was hoping you would take care of right, it fine. again.
1: All right. I love acronyms. Uh, setting every community up for retirement enhancement. <laughs>
0: Love it. Um, yeah, so some some changes that, for the most part, are good, I think, and affect uh, many Americans. We talked about um, some of the bigger ones, which are delaying required distributions from IRAs uh, to age 72, previously, age 70 and a half, people that are already in RMDs. Um, are, are not affected. They still have to continue taking their required distributions. Uh, but if you didn't turn 70 and a half by 12, 31, and 19, you can delay your first one till age 72. So that's great. Uh, what's maybe not so great part of this legislation is that um, people inheriting retirement accounts from non-spouses are no longer able to stretch those out and take life expectancy payments for their lifetime. That has been eliminated. Uh, and now people that inherit, uh, with, with some exceptions, most people that inherit retirement accounts from a non-spouse uh, have to fully withdraw all the funds in that retirement account uh, by 10 years after date of death of that person. Uh, 10 years, still relatively long time. Used to be either five years or required distributions for your life, but uh, no more, no longer ability to take life expectancy payments. You just have to draw it out in 10 years in whatever manner you choose. Could be evenly over 10 years, could be ad hoc over 10 years, could be once at the end of 10 years, could be once at the beginning. Um, so flexible, but not... Uh, the new the new rule is 10 years for a non-spouse spouses of course can continue to treat inherited retirement accounts from their spouse as their own so no change to that um, we talked about like, you know, if you have trust named as beneficiaries on retirement accounts, make sure you talk to your estate planning attorney to see if there should, or, or any changes necessary to that. Because trusts being a non-spouse no longer have the ability to take life expectancy payments on a retirement account either. So uh, that is that is a change that should be reviewed if you've done any trust work and have a trust named as a beneficiary on your retirement account. Um, let's talk, you want to talk about IRA contributions? Yes. Post 70 and a half and how yes. that has changed?
1: Yes. So... Yeah. In the past, uh, the rule has been you know, once you reach 70 and a half, that was the, you know, which was also the, you know, the old required minimum distribution age. Yeah. You were no longer able to make a IRA contribution. So, you know, traditional IRA is, you know, basically, you know, you, you know, you write a check, you know, out of your, you know, personal checkbook and, you know, put it into an IRA and based on certain, you know, certain income limitations and things like that, then you could, you could, uh, theoretically, deduct that that money from your taxable income uh, for the year. Uh, but but once you reach seventy and a half, you are no longer able to do that. So one of the new uh, the new rules of this Secure Act is that uh, that you are able to do that. Uh, so now going forward, uh, even even after you reach age seventy and a half, you can make a traditional IRA contribution. Um, you know, one caveat is that in order to do that, you have to have earned income right. uh, for, for the year in which you're making the contribution. And that's always, that's always been the case. Right.
0: You always have to have earned income to make a retirement contribution. Right. So, yeah.
1: so for example, so say, you know, say you're 70, you know, you're 71, uh, but you're still working, uh, you know, you still have, you know, whether it's maybe it's, maybe it's just part-time or whatever it is. Um, if you have earned an income and you'd like to put it into an IRA to, you know, reduce your tax, uh, your taxable income, you can now do and that. And to save for retirement. And save for retirement. <laughs> you can now do that. Um, yeah. You know, with people you know people working longer, people living longer, I think they're just trying to help you know help accommodate that. Yeah. And, and maybe you know people that are yeah. behind the eight ball as far as maybe not saving as much, you know they're trying to you know help as much as they can. Um,
0: yeah, on that. I mean, unfortunately, there's people that need to work beyond, well maybe maybe unfortunately, maybe they're happy to, but there's some people that have to work for financial reasons beyond age seventy. and uh, previous legislation didn't allow for them to tuck money away tax efficiently in a deductible retirement plan. Um, but this law, changes that. And so for the people that have earned income beyond 70 and a half can put money in an IRA. We touched on earlier though, it's always been the case that someone who had a 401k through their employer uh, or a 403b, mm-hmm. I believe, mm-hmm. and was working for that employer beyond age 70 and a half, they could always continue putting money into that retirement account. This was just previously IRAs, which is the account that you do on your own. And that's not through a company. or or a municipality or an employer, there were limits previously on that and you weren't able to put money into an IRA on your own post 70 and a half, but that's been eliminated. So now it aligns with 401ks and 403bs and employer sponsored plans right. because you are always able to put money in those if you were working and had taxable earnings beyond yeah. age 70 and a half. I
1: never understood that, why that was even a rule. But, it was like
0: an uh, anomaly. I think it was the only type of it, retirement correct, that account. Correct, that
1: was the only one that was limited by, by age.
0: Because you can put money in a Roth can, after 70 and a half, right? Correct. correct. Yeah, if you, again, if, you, if have you have to earned have income. earned yes. income. Yep. And so, you know, uh, pension income, social security income, portfolio income. uh, Even though those are taxable sources of income, those are not earned income, and even if you have income from those other sources, pension, social security, portfolio, right. retirement account, so et cetera.
1: Wages, right. basically wages and self-employment are the two most common right. sources of earned income.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and I was just, yeah, and maybe this goes without saying, it has to be like, it has to be earned declared income. I was just talking to some high school kids and, and chatting with them about saving for retirement this past weekend, and, um, and I I felt like I needed to make the clarification that like, if you are, for example, Uh, gambling online and earning money from that or gaming, I guess is like the new way. Babysitting, you know, nannying, anything that's under the table, meaning you're not declaring it as wages and you're not telling the IRS about it, which happens. We all know what happens. We all know people- No, we don't. Everybody should report. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Everybody should, but we we know that it happens and that people, waitresses and things like that, receiving anyone receiving tips under the table. um, Most people that receive under the table income like that, are not declaring them. I know that there are some that are, but um, I think a lot of people are not. So if you're if you have wages or if you have earned income, but you're not declaring it and and reporting it to the IRS and paying taxes on it, then it's not technically earned income for for purposes of being eligible to contribute to a retirement
1: account. So just,
0: maybe that goes without saying, but I just had to uh, clarify that.
1: So. You One know, one other thing is that. Um you know, it also it also works for uh, spouses. You know, so there's the you know spousal IRA contribution rule. Oh yeah. Where, you know, if you're so oh, yeah. if, if you're married filing jointly, if um, if if just one spouse is working, uh, you can if if there's enough income uh, to, right. to make it work, uh, you can you can make a contribution for the non-working spouse. Right. Uh, uh, as long as there's again enough income to to cover the the contribution. Um, so theoretically, if you've got, you know, if if you're a married couple and only one's working, you could do two IRA contributions, you know, up to the max, uh, each year.
0: You know, I was just having this conversation. I, I went and visited a class at the high school business class at the high finance class, excuse me, at the high school. And we were talking about, um, I was educating them on, you know, what are retirement accounts and, and the importance of saving early and the importance of saving for your future and things like that. And one of the, um, one of the questions was from the student was like kind of twofold. It was, you know, do, when when do most people retire? Well, part of the, one kid had the question, when do people retire? And the other kid said, who controls retirement, me or my employer, which I thought it was a mm. very interesting question. Someone that's 17, 18 might not know that. And that I okay. thought that was a really cool question. And of course, you know, explained that you control that. The Social Security Administration doesn't control that, though there are, you know, the limitations on when you can collect and things like that. And you're, you know, you, you basically you choose your own retirement, generally speaking, a financial um, obligation. Um but um, part of the question was when do people retire? And I said, in it's been my experience in the last, I don't know several years decade, it just seems to me that I'm having conversations with people about wanting to retire, uh, maybe, earlier than was historically normal. And I don't, I don't have any statistics to back that up. It just seems to me that people are, some of the people I work with um, are excited about retiring uh, earlier. they you know, they want to retire maybe earlier than, you know, I, I kind of use like 65 as an average um, retirement age for people. Um, you know, social security says full retirement ages for most people is 66 or 67. So like mid sixties has generally been um, an average retirement retirement age for a long time but it seems to me that I'm having discussions with people about wanting to retire before that and can I afford to retire at 62 or 60 or 55 or you know and and um, and I we kind of talked through that a little bit and um, you know we're talking a, about uh, you know people are in maybe things have changed over the years and people are in very stressful careers and commuting to the city gets seems to get worse and worse and the stresses of dad and and the stresses that come along with you know many families that have two parents that are working and one of them's not necessarily home cooking dinner and you know not that that's all that uh, that parents that stay at home do but that's not what i meant i just meant that there are additional stresses that come along with that and um you know kind of talked about you know maybe those are some of the reasons that people are indicating that they kind of want to retire earlier but also talking through that retirement, um, isn't not, isn't as black and white as people stop working. And then there's no more earned income. You know, sometimes people sort of ease into it or they leave a stressful career and they do something different and they still earn money, but they do something different or they go, or they go part time or per diem. And, you know, and so it's sort of changed. But anyway, we talked through that and, and I was, you know, my point was that it, it seems like retirement ages are, 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 um, uh, being lowered uh, or people are at least trying to retire at an earlier than historically average age. And the um, the teacher of the business class, my friend said, that's interesting because she had been reading that many people had to be retiring older and many people were working longer than was historically normal. And, and I said, you know what? I haven't, looked at statistics on that recently and that very well may be the case but I I, and I was explaining that the type of people that I work with as a financial advisor are um, they're a they're a subset of the population that either has wealth or is motivated uh, to save more so that they can retire earlier uh, or they have wealth. So that translates or they, they've either built wealth or they've inherited wealth and that translates to their inability to wanna retire earlier. So um, we, I was just kind of talking through that and how I see I work with just a different subset of the, I work with a subset of the population and, and that those people are are reaching for certain goals but then there's this whole other subset of the population that I don't necessarily work with day to day that hasn't for whatever reason, hasn't positioned themselves um, in an ideal retirement situation and has to work longer than than uh, historical norms. Maybe they're working into their seventies or, God forbid, eighties. You know. Mm-hmm. But again, may, may, some people are happy to be working. I, I love working, and I don't really envision stopping uh, fully anyway. But um, you know, some people do it because they love it, and they'd be bored otherwise. Uh, my dad's a great
1: example. Well, that's of that. good because you got, you got about, you got so, about uh, twenty-five know, more years. Lot to go. more years.
0: Yeah. yeah. But anyway, that, and I guess I start. I launched into that because I think it's interesting. But I also think that this legislation is is like you said, trying to help those people that are are getting into their late sixties and 70, 70s and aren't yet ready financially to retire. Uh, and and it's aimed at helping them better their own financial situation and tuck more money away tax efficiently and and removing restrictions on being able to put money into an IRA after age seventy and a half. And so it's 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 aimed at that this particular component of the legislation. In other words, lifting the restriction of not
1: being able to contribute to an IRA post seventy and a half. Did you um, uh, did you touch on the limits, the actual dollars that you're allowed to put in? No.
0: I was I was I went into a touchy feely conversation oh, okay. about retirement okay. ages okay. and stuff like that. And,
1: I'm more into the details. Oh, okay. All yeah. right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, um,
1: anyway. So, yeah. So if you're, if you're 50 or older, uh, you can, you can contribute up to $7,000 a year, uh, into, you know, into a deductible IRA. An IRA. Um, and so, and as I said before, if, you know, if you're, um, you know, so for a married couple, they can each do 7,000. So, you know, you can do up to $14,000 a year, um, in, you know, into an IRA. And I, I don't think we want to get in too much of the details, but there are some. <laughs> you just
0: told me you love details. Oh,
1: well. Well... Well, that was that was one detail. That was okay. a high level detail, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the other thing is, you know, your ability to actually deduct uh, depends on a few things. Um, you know, the one we mentioned. Oh, yeah. You know, one we mentioned is obviously you have to have, you know, earned income in that amount, uh, and you know that's that's number one. Uh, but then there's some other things as far as your. Like
0: you can't also max a 401k right. and max an IRA. Yeah.
1: No. Right. If you yeah if if you're active in in a 401k or a retirement plan. Then, then the, you have to look at your earned income uh, or your adjusted gross income, uh, and if you're above a certain level,
0: yeah,
1: uh, then you then technically you're you're not able to deduct uh, an IRA contribution.
0: Yeah, or and even then, if your spouse has a f- right 401k or, or and you're if, a high income earner, you yeah, can't if, put money in an IRA. Yeah, there's limits. Yeah. right.
1: So I don't I don't want to really get into that right now. Um, you know, that's you know that's a question for your accountant. Um, but we're just talking about yeah. you know the fact that you can you know the uh, availability of doing an IRA contribution past seventy and a half is now now an option.
0: Okay, let's talk about IRA distributions pre fifty nine and a half because there's a little bit of a change to that as okay. part of the Secure Act. Yeah, um, the, generally speaking, the nature of a retirement account, not a Roth, but the the nature of most other other retirement accounts is that you are penalized from a tax perspective for taking a withdrawal before age 59 and a half. So retirement um, accounts- That applies to a Roth too. For, well, you can take your principal out yeah. of a Roth before 59 and a half after five years. But, um, but you're right, the earnings. So- the nature of a retirement account is that it's savings for retirement. So there is a financial disincentive to taking money out before 59 and a half. And that's always been the case. Um, there are some exceptions to that. There's a new exception as part of the SECURE Act uh, of 2019. There's a new exception to the 10. So the financial penalty for taking dollars out of a retirement account of, of any sort, except simples, that gets confusing. But um, generally speaking, the, the tax penalty for taking money out before 59 and a half is 10%. So if you're 50 and you want to buy a car and you're going to take money out of your retirement account to pay cash for a car, generally speaking, maybe not a great idea, but you're going to pay taxes on every dollar you take out, federal and state, if your state has income taxes, as Massachusetts does, and you're going to pay a 10% uh, penalty to the federal government. So if you're in the 24% tax bracket, you're going to pay 34% in taxes to take it out and then uh, 5 Point one, right, five point one percent or five two to Massachusetts. Um, there's a new exception to that. Um, there, there have always been some exceptions regarding disability and like, uh, like with the Rothers, the first time home buyer, and um, there's some exceptions. But there's a new one as part of the Secure Act, and that's um, that uh, someone who has given birth to a child or adopted a child is now able to take up to $5,000 from an IRA um, in the 12 month period after the birth or adoption. So, and each spouse can do that and they can do that for each child. So you have a baby. Twins. Yeah, uh, that's right, yeah. So like if you have a baby and 2020, and you had uh, you have a baby in 2020, and you have a lot of medical uh, expenses as a result of it. Maybe you have a high deductible health plan. Maybe you didn't have enough in your HSA to cover it. You had to use some of your money for whatever reason. You know, kids cost money. There's you know, you might need to buy a new car because you needed an SUV or you felt like you needed an SUV. Whatever. Um, anyway, there's you, you can now take money up to five thousand per uh, up to five thousand after the birth for the 12 months immediately after the birth or the adoption of a child. And again, that's a per child limit and it's actually a per parent limit. So technically you could take 10,000 if you each had a retirement account, you and your spouse. Um, And if you, I guess if you had twins, you could double it because it's a per child limit. Um, So, I mean, you know, that's, Great! It removes it. You still have to pay taxes on the money that comes out. Still taxes, yep. But there's not that additional 10% penalty. So this is potentially a savings of 500 bucks at the the most, for instance, because 10% of 5,000 in the form of elimination of that penalty. So, I mean, generally speaking, not... Likely not ideal for people to be drawn out of their retirement accounts for kid-related expenses. Um, you know that could be a slippery slope if you're if you're having to rely on that. Like you should have emergency reserves, and you should have um, hopefully, ideally planned for it in other ways. And and um, but for whatever that's worth for anyone that that might affect people, should just know that there is now an exception for retirement account distributions immediately, relatively soon after. Birth or adoption of a child, so that's kind of cool. Um, having it, said that, I would probably try to talk people out of it if there was any other way for them to pay those expenses, or and,
1: not. And I also yeah. read, um, I also read, and uh, that if if you do that, you actually have the ability to put it back in. You yeah, can, you can, that's right. You can repay it, uh, repay yourself, um, you know, after the fact, uh, if if you have that ability. And I don't know exactly what the time frame. It if well, the, there's if, no
0: there's no timing clarification yet. Okay, they're waiting for a treasury regulation on that. Okay. There's no, I don't think it gives a limit on you have to put it back in within the days or months. Okay. Um,
1: so there is, but there is yeah. the possibility of putting that money back into your IRA or retirement plan if, if you if you do this.
0: How many times in your career has someone said, I'm gonna take this money out of my IRA and I'm gonna put it back in? And how, what percentage of those people small, put it back in? Small, percentage. It's so small. I actually, because there's always been, there's there's always been this thing called the 60 day rule. Actually, that's changed a little bit in the last few years, but um even prior to the Secure Act, people could take money out of a retirement account. And if you put it back in in 60 days, you could avoid that being a taxable event. If you took 10,000 out and put a 10,000 back in a month later, you didn't have to pay taxes on it when you go to get your tax, when you, whatever, you don't have to pay taxes on it. And um, that's always been the case. And there's limitations. You can only do that once per year and things. But... um, there's just been so many times that people like have, they have great intentions, but you know, life happens and things don't always pan out.
1: Or or 60 60 days goes by a lot quicker than they anticipated. Yeah. uh,
0: yeah. I think I've had in my career of, you know, there's not, I haven't had an, it's not incredibly frequent that people do this and think that they're going to put it back. But, um, you know, I've had like one person in like 15 years actually put the money back. And I actually had one recently who she took several thousand out And she was like, something was waiting to be sold. And so she was putting it back in and she contacted me like 75 days later and was like, I have the money, it finally sold. I'm ready to put it back in. And I said, oh, you know, you missed the window. But, yeah. um, but she, we were able to do some other things and it ended up being okay. But yeah, like nobody ever puts... Almost nobody ever puts the money back. If you do, great. And you avoided the taxes on it. Um, All right, we have like another minute and then we're gonna get to our final segment here after the break. So um, we're talking about the SECURE Act, setting every community up for retirement. Enhancement. Enhancement Act, I finally got it. And that's um, some retirement plan, Uh, legislation changes and some tax changes just passed here, end of 2019, some important stuff. Um, If you happen to, by the way, I haven't announced this recently, but if you happen to miss part of our show, this is pretty, I think this is pretty important stuff for people to know. (laughs) If you happen to miss the show, we always um, turn our radio shows into podcasts. So if you miss any of these details, you can always search your podcast app for McNamara on money. Um, And the podcast is uh, relatively early in the week we get those podcasts the radio show turned into a podcast and that's always available for your listening pleasure whenever is convenient for you. So search McNamara On Money on your podcast app, whether you have an Android or a smartphone and you'll find us. Um, So I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara uh, Financial in Marshfield and Chelmsford. You're listening to McNamara On Money and I'm joined by my husband and business partner today, Kirk Reed, and we're talking about um, the new tax and, and... retirement legislation changes, the SECURE Act. And it's kind of cool. I actually had fun going through this. We have one more segment. We're going to talk about some changes to small business retirement plans and setting up 401ks for small businesses and good stuff there. So we're just taking a quick break. So good morning, everyone. We are, this is McNamara on Money and educating the investors of the South Shore and the Merrimack Valley. This morning, we are educating you on the SECURE Act. And I, I can't see it in front of me. What is setting it?
1: Setting every yeah. community up. Four, little four, retirement enhancement.
0: Enhancement, okay. Um, This is tax and retirement planning legislation, retirement plan, excuse me, legislation. Sweeping,
1: sweeping legislation. Some
0: articles might call it sweeping. uh, And this was uh, just enacted at the end of 2019. And so we're going through some of the details as this impacts many Americans in at least some small way, some people in a larger way than others.
1: Yeah, and pretty much, (laughs) well- Actually, that no, this is not true. I was going to say all effective one one twenty, but that's not true. Some some, no, of, the, some of them right. don't take effect until next year right. or or twenty twenty two even. But yeah, uh, so far so far, what we talked about is effective now one one twenty the, right. the RMD change.
0: So if you haven't, if you have not yet turned seventy and a half, if you were not seventy and a half by twelve thirty one nineteen, you can delay your first required distribution from any retirement plan until seventy two. Um, Okay, the next relatively large change is the elimination of what we call the stretch IRA um, when someone inherits money from a non-spouse. So this is, I think this is one of the bigger ones or one of the more relevant changes, but uh, not necessarily in a good way. In fact, not in a good way for mm-hmm. min, for some people. For some people, this won't affect uh, this won't affect some people, but it, it will affect others that have a larger amount of wealth in retirement accounts and, and inherited it from a generation above. Um, so, it, 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 prior to this new legislation of 2019, when someone inherited a retirement account from a non-spouse. So if you inherited from a sibling, a parent uh, and any other family member, yeah. it, if you were not their spouse, you basically had, well, basically three options. One option was you could stretch out that, the the they call it a stretch IRA because you could essentially hold that retirement account in your name as an inherited IRA or what we call a beneficiary IRA. You could previously continue that as a retirement account, but just take small required distributions annually. And the required distributions are based on your own life expectancy. So if you inherited a retirement account at age 30 and you had a longer life expectancy than someone age 70, you were taking a smaller percentage of the value of that account out. So it was, it's based, it, they're based on life expectancy right. tables. So this was really a great, um, this was a great benefit for people that were inheriting large retirement accounts and didn't want to didn't need the money now. Wanted to defer that and, and use that as their own nest egg for their own retirement. Um, didn't want to take out a large balance in any one tax year to right, avoid.
1: If you're still, yeah, if you're yeah. relatively young, you're probably working and and probably you know depending on your income, yeah, if you take add a significant sum of money uh, to your income stream, taxable, yeah, uh, you know it could push you into a new bracket and therefore you know eat up a significant chunk of that inheritance. Right. Um, whereas yeah, the stretch allows you to take out little pieces. Uh, every year, which you know should be should be you know theoretically taxed at a much lower rate, right, and allowing right. the bulk of it to, to stay tax deferred for for a long period of time.
0: Right. So so under previous law, your a benefit a non spouse beneficiary's options was to stretch and take required distributions annually, or to fully clean out the account within five years meaning you didn't have to take a distribution in the first or second or third year, but the account had to be fully withdrawn after five years, which could mean like if it was a large account, you wouldn't wanna do that in any one year. So maybe you would do it over the five years. Um, Or you could just, take the, you could just crash the whole thing in the first tax year, take the money to, you know if it was a relatively small amount that, you know, that's pretty common. If it, you inherit a $20,000 IRA from somebody and you want to pay off your car you know, people were just liquidating it fully and taking it because that, you know a $20,000 bump in your tax bracket is like not a big
1: deal. If it, yeah, uh, if it's relatively small or, or if you need it then that's, you know, that's what people would do. They would just take, yeah. it, take it out, pay the taxes and be done with it.
0: So, the, so those were the previous options for a non-spouse beneficiary. And this new legislation of the Secure Act has eliminated the ability for non-spouse beneficiaries to stretch the IRAs. Um, There's no longer in life expectancy payments for the lifetime of the non-spouse beneficiary. So that is fully eliminated. What What is replaced what has been replaced is that now that five-year rule, which which said, nope, you don't have to take annual required distributions, but five years from the date of death, you have to fully clean out the account. Now it's a 10-year rule. So 10 years from the date of death of, uh, uh, of your non-spouse that you inherited money from, there are some exceptions, which we'll go through, but um, 10 years after the death of the decedent, um, you have to have fully cleaned out that retirement account,
1: and this is for this is for only people. Passing away in 2020 and beyond. That's correct. So if you already have one of these uh, inherited IRAs, you're basically you know quote unquote grandfathered in, and you, you can continue doing the the life expectancy distributions.
0: Yeah, fortunately, I have one client who inherited a relatively large uh, sum of retirement money from her father not long ago, and she was very concerned about. She had heard about this legislation. That you know, I w- this was in Congress for I don't know months or a year. At, at least for most of 2019, this was going through Congress. It pa- I think it passed the House over the summer and then it took a while for it to get through um, fully. But um, yeah, she was concerned about, but people that are, that already inherited retirement accounts. So for someone that died twelve thirty one nineteen 19 or before those people that inherited from a non-spouse, they are grandfathered in. Yeah. So it only affects people when the date of death is January 1 of 20 or later. Um, but that, this is, this negatively impacts people that are, that stand to, Inherit large sums of money in retirement plans um, because that ability to defer the earning, you know, d- defer taxes on earnings in a large account indefinitely. Like if you know, you inherit a sizable sum of money at 30 or 40 and you can in- defer that until your own age 90. I mean, that's a lot of years of, of tax deferral on earnings. And so for wealthy families that are passing large retirement accounts down. To to the second or third generation, uh, this this is this is a big change for those wealthier families. I mean, for for relatively small um, for people that are passing relatively small dollars in retirement accounts down to the next generation, I I don't think this much impacts them because um, you know if you think about like the age at which most people inherit from their parents. They're probably, what do you think, 50s or 60s? Yeah,
1: 50s or 60s, probably.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, if someone's life expectancy is 80 or 90, then their kids are inheriting 20 or 30 years younger than that, right? So the, the age at which someone inherits, um, m- the age at which most people would inherit money from their parents anyway, happens to coincide with an age where they might have kids that are going through college or or about to go through college or have gone through college, but there's some debt Um, and or an age where they're thinking about their own retirement. Maybe they're um, trying to pay down some debt, mortgage debt or whatever. So I I just think coincidentally, the age that most people inherit money from their parents happens to be an age where there's a lot of financial need, especially if they have kids. And so I don't, I think for a lot of people, this doesn't necessarily affect them because they were gonna use up the money within a relatively small period of time anyway. Um, And certainly 10, I mean, 10 years is still a long time. Yeah, I mean, you know, know, I was thinking about that,
1: you know, versus versus the five year, you know, five year, you know, the five year rule, um, you know, it just doesn't give you a whole lot of flexibility, but 10 years, you know, that is a fairly long time considering somebody's lifespan and, if you can divide up that chunk, you know, by ten. Yeah. And it, again, it just kind of depends on the amount, and it depends on the, you know, the rest of your tax situation. But. Yeah. And you know, one one of the examples they gave was, well, you know, if somebody was, um, you know, say that they're like sixty, and this happens you know, maybe they wait until they retire at 65 or 66 before they start taking distributions and then, you know, take them over, you know, years, you know, six through 10 or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, dif- you know so you can't, yeah. you know, it gives you some years. Play around with to, your tax bracket defer, Yeah, so, yeah. you know, if you can wait until you're in a lower tax bracket to do it, um, at least it gives you a little bit of flexibility. Yeah.
0: I mean, if you're like, if you think about like some, if you're the only child of of someone who's you know has wealth and has a two million dollar retirement account, and you're going to inherit that, not being able to defer that until your own through your own life expectancy is is really um, that's a bummer. That's a that's a that's a this is a negative change for wealthy families, but for most other people. Um, not so. Not so much of a big deal, I think. In my opinion, right. there are some. So, no more stretch IRA. No more ability to indefinitely inherit a retirement account. Um, and, and I'm sorry to defer a retirement account indefinitely and take life expectancy payments. So that has been eliminated for people that uh, whose date of death is after one one of twenty.
1: But so, there
0: are some uh, exceptions to this rule. Right, okay, so, yeah. if you inherit money from a spouse, you will still be able to do life expectancy payment and defer that indefinitely. So, spouse, if you inherit a retirement account from a spouse, essentially you just t- turn it into your own retirement account and treat it as your own. And then when, and then you just treat it as so when it, when you get to the new age seventy two now, then then you'll be required to take required distribution. So, so there's no change for spouses. So there's no ten year rule if you're married to the person that you're inheriting the funds from. Um, There's also some exceptions for people who um, are disabled or chronically ill as per the IRS tax code. There's some definitions definitions, in there. I actually pulled the definitions um, just for if anyone's curious, like the the definition, the Internal Revenue Service definition of disabled. It's relatively short. Um, an, An individual shall be considered disabled if he is unable to engage in any substantial gainful activity by reason of any medically determinable... Determinable physical or mental impairment, which can be expected to result in death or to be of long continued and indefinite duration, um, and then there's a there's also a definition of of chronically ill, which happens to kind of line up with the with um, the the definition of chronically ill per like the long term care insurance standards. Like you can't mm-hmm. perform activities of daily living. So anyway, that's all in the tax code. So there are like if people inherit retirement accounts from a non-spouse and they're either disabled or chronically ill. Um, then there is an exception to that rule and they can continue to stretch. Um, also, if you inherit, there's an exception for someone who inherits from a non-spouse, but they're not more than 10 years younger. So what, what the IRS or what, what Congress is trying to eliminate is for fam, wealthy families, essentially, to discontinue the ability to like indefinitely defer taxes on large retirement accounts. Right. So if you think about wealthy families with multimillion dollar retirement accounts, and those are passing from generation to generation to generation, and there's like literally could be indefinite, I don't, I don't know yeah. how often this happens, but there could literally be indefinite tax deferral on large dollars. They're trying to eliminate that and get their tax revenue on, on the, those monies. Um, but like if you, under, under this new legislation, if you inherit from let's say a sibling and you're five years younger than that sibling, you can continue, you can the do old, the life expectancy The old rules still yep, apply. The old rules still apply. You can stretch that out. Cause this, I mean, if you think about it from the government's perspective, you're like almost the same age as that person anyway. Right. So it doesn't necessarily negatively affect difference. them. Yeah. And then when that person dies, if they try to win, leave it to their kids, their kids are going to have to close it in 10 years anyway. So, uh, so there are some expect- exceptions. And the last one um, is that, Young children. This is such an awful thing to think about, but if young children inherit, so children under the age of majority, which I'm pretty sure I looked at the mass tax mass laws and is it was 21. A, I I don't know. I looked at mass general laws and it said 18. Really? Yeah. So I I actually pulled up mass general law chapter something something. Yeah. <laughs> and it said 18, um, which I was confused about because in our business there's like. At know, 18, I, I, someone can take their account, but at 21, it's forced to them or... Yeah, so I wasn't... If, if there's mm-hmm. any attorneys listening, please call me and let me know what the age of majority is in Massachusetts. I think it's 18. Um, it's either 18 or 21. I think most yeah. states are either 18 or 21. So, so like, for example, if a five-year-old... This is such a sad thing to think about, but if a five-year-old inherits... Well, you know, maybe it's from a grandparent, but like if if a young child inherits a retirement account from his or her parent they don't have that, whoever the financial custodian is for that kid. It's obviously not the kid making the decision, but that account does not have to be closed within 10 years until they're the age of majority. And then the 10 year clock starts ticking. So they can do life expectancy payments from age five to I think age 18 in mass. And then by age 28- The the uh,
1: The age of majority is 18.
0: Tim 18. isn't that I know of. Tim isn't even a JD, but thank you for that, Tim. You're I welcome. appreciate that yeah. answer. Yeah, I I thought it was twenty one too, but I when I was doing my research, I it referred to Mass General laws, and it's very clearly stated age eighteen. Um,
1: I wonder if there's different definitions depending on the circumstance or depending on what it's being applied to. I I don't know.
0: Yeah. So I'm wondering if like in different financial custodians might have different definitions of it. Cause like in our world, there's a trigger at age 21 Mm -hmm. in Massachusetts for financial accounts to have to move to the child's name. Um, so I don't know for whatever, maybe that's a different age. I'm not not sure about that.
1: Oh, and so that, that rule about the, um, the minor child, uh, that says it only applies to the child of the IRA owner. So it can't be- That's right, so thank it can't, you for that. can't be like a grandchild grand right. or- um,
0: That's right. So if you, right, so if a five-year-old inherits from a grandparent, it,
1: it's sti- it it's sti- still
0: has to be closed in right. 10 years. Right. Okay, thank you for that clarification. Yep. That's right, I remember reading that too. Um, so yeah, I think that's a pretty big, That as I was reading through this, I think that was like one of the only- Things that I was reading through that like n- could potentially negatively impact um, a lot of people. So, um,
1: well, then there's the we gonna, you're gonna talk about the trust version.
0: That's right ben- of beneficiaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So anyway, no more no more ability to stretch uh, inherited if you're a non-spouse. No more ability to stretch retirement accounts through, for your life expectancy. So the new rule is that you have to close that account fully, withdraw all the dollars, pay all the taxes. Af- within 10 years of date death. So that's a pretty big change. The new five-year rule is now the 10-year rule. Right,
1: five is the new 10, um, 10 is the new five. 10 is, is that right, did you say that
0: right? 10 is the new five, okay. Um, so
1: Yeah, so, the, so, the yeah, other, so what's the yeah, other so part the of other that? One, the other one is um, if you name a trust as the beneficiary of a retirement plan. Yeah. Um, so it's been, you know, some people do that. Um, for a couple of reasons, um, but you know, if it if the trust was written in the you know using the proper language, uh, it's what's called a see through trust. And please let me be clear: I'm not an attorney.
0: Uh, and I think they're also called conduit trusts. Okay.
1: So, if a trust was written in such a way, basically, you know, every year the trust, you know, basically the trust would become the owner of the, you know, of the IRA or the 401k, whatever it may be. If
0: the trust was named as beneficiary, if the trust yep. was
1: named, so the trust would now be the owner. You yeah. Know, the trust would have a, you know, a designated trustee you yeah. know, that would basically be in control, although you know may or may not be the beneficiary ultimately. And so the trust would, you know, list, you know, one or more beneficiaries, you know, of, of the trust.
0: Yeah.
1: And so basically, you know, they could they could do this uh, stretch basically. Yeah. And they, you know, every year, you know, they could do a distribution uh, from the IRA to the trust and then the trust would disperse it, you know, or pass through, uh, you know, that, that required distribution to the beneficiaries. Right. And they could do that. Um, so in this case... Um, you know so my understanding is that so if there are multiple beneficiaries you know the calculation uh would be based on the oldest uh beneficiary uh to be listed yeah uh versus you know so if um you know if there's five people they're all different ages you know let's say one of them's you know 50 years old and the youngest is you know 20 uh but every everything would be based on the oldest on the 50 year old yeah. as far as the life expectancy uh, so it'd be a, a bigger distribution just because you know that's the way that the tax code is written Um, Okay with that? Yeah. Okay. I Uh, just had
0: one thing to add to it when you're done.
1: So... Um, and, and also another reason that the people would do that, uh, or that people that people would name a trust is that the trust could have special provisions. Yeah. You know, it could, you know, say, oh, okay, well, you know, um, give X, Y, Z, you know, give X, so much to this person, so much to this person, kind of all be handled through the trustee. Um, and plus, you know, whatever money is in the trust could maybe have some protection, uh, like against creditors. Yeah. Right. Um, So it's not, you know, so it's not in somebody's individual name. It's in the name of the trust. So if one of the beneficiaries, you know, has an issue or has somebody, they owe somebody money, um, you know, they could, I think they could still go after the yearly, yearly distributions, but they can't go after the principal because it's, it's in the trust. Right. Um, so that was, you know, maybe a reason that somebody would do this. Right. Um, so the new, the new rule, the SECURE Act is basically, um, taking that away. Uh, They're basically taking the, taking the ability to do the stretch. uh, When a trust is named. If the the trust is the beneficiary. Because it's a non-spouse. Because the trust is a non-spouse. It's a non-spouse. Now this one seems to be a little different though, as far as the distribution rules.
0: Oh, that I didn't know. What did you read about Well, I was reading that there are some of these, did you call it see-through or look-through or well,
1: conduit trust? See-through, uh, yeah. And then condu- conduit. I think those are maybe two different things, but yes. Yeah.
0: So I think there are some of these types of trusts that were named as beneficiaries and they were written in such a way that the trust would take whatever the required distribution was from the IRA in that in a tax year, the trust would take the required distribution Disperse it from the IRA, move it to the trust itself, which is a, which is a different which could be a different investment account. So you withdraw it from the IRA, pay the taxes. Would just th- the language would state something that you were the trust would just the trustee would just withdraw the required minimum distribution in that tax year, move the after-tax dollars to the trust, and then the trust would disperse to the beneficiary. So it was written in such a way that the underlying beneficiary was only receiving the after-tax amount of the RMD. Mm. And this is different from a person inheriting an IRA because a person could just take however much money they want from an account, whereas a trust could be written because because even if previously someone was stretching a retirement account for their life expectancy, yes, they had a required distribution, but they could always take more. A person can always say, I want more. And you just take more and you pay more taxes. But a trust could be written in such a way that the trustee who's a different, probably a different person than who's getting the money. The trustee says, I'm only taking the required. I'm going to withhold taxes and I'm just sending you the after tax amount. So the problem now is that there is no more RMD for a non-spouse. So someone who has this type of trust named currently as a beneficiary, it's not going to work the way it was intended to work because there's no RMD. So that beneficiary gets nothing until year 10 and then they have to get everything. Right. Right. And so that those are now so anything written in that regard is not going to work and neither needs to be revoked or re- or rewritten um so for so that that's what i was reading is now the problem with this type of tr- with trusts that are named as beneficiaries most people that are married even if they have done legal work in trust It seems to me that like a lot of people that are married just name their spouse anyway. So I don't think this really comes into play unless um, it's like the second generation. And some, for, for, you you know, you mentioned before there are legal reasons for, um, money to be in trust, you know, uh, uh, pr- protection from creditors and things like that. And, and also protection from uh, the person themselves who may be a spendthrift or have some sort of an addiction yeah. where they're w- wanting to spend the money on things that they perhaps shouldn't be. Um, and so I think that the, you know those are the types of reasons that people might name a trust. Of course there's more reasons, but um, so the, the point is that people that have named trusts as beneficiaries of their retirement account should check with their attorney. You can check with your financial advisor or you can just go check your beneficiary designation regarding how are my beneficiaries named? And this is beneficiaries we review annually with our clients and we're gonna have to make darn sure we do it in 2020 for everybody. Um, Your advisor might not, your financial advisor might not know if, if the language in that trust is no longer going to be, uh, uh, suitable or appropriate, um, but check with your attorney regarding, uh, does think, this need
1: to be rewritten? Yeah. I think that's probably the best, you know, quote yeah. unquote advice we can give over the radio is that if, if you've got, uh, if you do have, if you've named a trust as the beneficiary of your IRA, yeah, it's a, this is a good time to talk to your attorney about if that still makes sense or not.
0: I think estate planning attorneys are gonna be pretty busy, yeah. at least in the first half of their release in 2020, um, you know, fielding calls on this. But, but I don't, people that have done trust work don't necessarily like panic too much. Oftentimes, the estate planning attorneys that I work with anyway, oftentimes, even if someone has a trust, oftentimes they're still just naming their spouse and or their kids as people as beneficiaries of the retirement accounts and they might they might have a trust for their un- other monies for avoiding probate reasons and things like that and for other purposes but not everyone that has done that has had an attorney draft a trust for them has that trust named as a beneficiary on a retirement account in fact sometimes we try to avoid that because it's a it's a it's as you know a huge mm-hmm. um, logistic it's, it's an pain. <laughs> it's an administrative uh, hassle, yeah. not only for the financial institutions and the advisors, but for the trustees. For the trustees, yeah. It can be, uh, it, it can be like overly complicated and, if it doesn't have to be the case, oftentimes even estate planning attorneys will say, "No, just name the, just name your family as right. your beneficiaries." But it's, and we have this trust for these other reasons. But
1: if but yeah, but if you're trying to get the money to somebody that does have a you know maybe a disability or or a, or a spending problem, yeah, but yeah but then then that's when they oftentimes when it comes into play, and, yeah. and that does that does exist.
0: I was reading that there's there are other types of um, there's lots of different types of trust. I, I couldn't even. I couldn't even name them. I'm not an attorney, but um, I think there were there were other types of trusts that would like uh, the trust language. And if a trust was named as beneficiary on a, on a retirement account, a trust would be written such that you, uh, you know uh, reti- a re- required distribution was taken from the retirement account and then placed in the trust, and then maybe part of that was sent to the underlying beneficiary or beneficiaries. Maybe some of it was stayed inside the trust. Um, and the the problem also with that is that trust tax rates are higher than people's tax rates. Right. Um, so just something else to consider if you have a trust named, oh, two minutes, if you have a trust named um as beneficiaries, um to because trust tax brackets are still um, really high. So just something to be aware of. it's this is this legislation is going to, uh, or it should. Uh, cause you to want to review the beneficiaries you have on your retirement accounts. And if you have a trust named, um, to check with your estate planning attorney on if that's still appropriate for you, or if that needs to be reworked in some way. Um, all right, we had, we just have like a minute or so, we'll take a break, but lots more to cover. So um, we're talking, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara Financial, and we have offices in Marshfield and Chelmsford, Mass. And we are, I'm joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. We both uh, work out primarily out of the Marshfield office. Um, We're talking this morning about the SECURE Act, which is um, some tax and retirement plan legislation that was passed in December of 2019, and um, some changes that affect a lot of people. So uh, good information to have, we think, anyway, which is why we're focusing on that this morning. Um, We still have lots to cover, actually, that we kind of got some of the bigger things out of the way. Um, Required minimum distributions now pushed to age 72, elimination of the stretch IRA on Inherited IRAs um, and talking about trusts no longer being able to stretch as beneficiaries on retirement accounts. But those are some of the big ones where you have lots more to cover. You're listening to McNamara on Money. We're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back.